your go-to podcast for uni students or speeches who know a little about a lot, giving you handy tips and tricks to survive in the real world, the stuff that no one prepares you for. Hello to everyone listening. Welcome back to Diary of a New Grad Speechy. We are your hosts, early career speech pathologists. My name is Cass. And I'm Ash. We have a super special podcast for you guys today. This is our first ever guest speaker and we are so excited. Yeah, so excited to have this person on. Today we will be talking with an amazingly talented occupational therapist who has had a variety of roles within her professional career. And today she will be talking to us about all things OT and how we could possibly integrate this into our speech practice. Welcome, Jackie! Jackie. <laughs> Hi, Cass and Ash. Thank you for that introduction. I'm so honoured and a little bit nervous to be your first guest speaker on the podcast. I just wanted to say congratulations on turning your fantastic idea into reality. Thanks. That's so nice of you. Nice. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. <laughs> this is a nice time you... Oh, the first time you've been nice to us. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we should give a little bit of background of how we know Jackie. Yeah. (laughs) We actually worked with Jackie in our previous job and have all become such close friends since. Yeah. Yeah. So previously we've spoken about our job and we worked at a private practice that had speech and OT. So we were lucky enough to work really closely with Jackie and get her knowledge on so many things. Mm. And how we could, yeah, work with clients better, really. Yeah. And vice versa. As an OT, it was so nice working with speeches in such a close environment as well. And there was definitely a few crazy clients, <laughs> which we've um, probably all experienced. Do you have a crazy client story, Jackie? There definitely are a few crazy client stories. Um, one that springs to mind was a child who attended the special school. So as soon as he was in that environment, his behaviours totally changed. And every time we tried to transition him from playing in the sensory garden and completing therapy sessions, he would become very aggressive, resulting in numerous scratches up and down my arms, up and down the therapy oh my assistant's God. arms. Up and down the teacher aid's arms. Pretty crazy. Yeah. Do you still have some scars? No, no scars. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds really hard. Yeah. Definitely crazy. What did you do? Um, We just really worked on his transitions back into the classroom following a session. um, And eventually they definitely improved. Um, But I think it just goes to show how different a child can be in different environments from the clinic to actually being in a school. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big thing. Absolutely. It's hard sometimes when you just see a client in the clinic room and then the parents telling you things that they do and you literally never see it and it just Mm. takes that time to go and see them in the classroom or in different environments and you're like, oh, wow, totally different. Yeah, definitely. Well, that's pretty crazy. Definitely a big learning curve. Very much so. Yeah. All right, well, what we had planned today is we just have a heap of questions that we're going to ask you. Sounds good. Yeah, (laughs) so I thought we might as well just jump straight into it. Okay, so the first question that we have is how do you even explain the role of an OT? Because I struggle with this every day when I'm trying to refer 
a client or tell a parent to go see an OT, they're like, what does an OT do? And I'm like, no, (laughs) don't ask me. No, I think you're so right, Ash. I think it's definitely a very hard thing to explain. Um, And especially the role can be quite varied in different settings. I think after four years, the easiest way to explain uh, occupational therapist is that an OT will aim to assist a person to achieve success in their life occupations. And this can include potentially school, home tasks, play, and self-care. So overall, increasing their participation in activities that they need and want to do. That's a great explanation. Yeah, that's really cool. I'm just going to like write that down. Literally. <laughs> and use that. Have it on a little um, palm card. Yeah. <laughs> Hand it out. Yeah, and you can just sit on my desk and every time I want to yeah. refer someone, I'm like, oh, just read this. This is what an OT is. <laughs> So just off that, Jackie, talk us through some of the roles you've worked in as an OT in your career thus far. So I have worked in a variety of roles. I started an occupational rehabilitation role down in New South Wales, which involved individuals who had sustained a workplace injury. And I was required to assist them with their return to work. So identifying suitable duties to get them back into the workforce. Mm -hmm. Um, Following this, I then moved into a private practice OT role in Harvey Bay which we saw a range of clients. I suppose the majority were children with ASD and which was where I met both of you. Yeah. <laughs> Love the two speeches. What a good time. So now I'm working in a bit of a different role again. I'm seeing a range of clients of different ages, different disabilities, which I'm currently loving and really enjoy getting to see a variety of conditions providing ongoing therapy and also arranging some assistive technology. Wow, pretty varied. Yeah, super broad. So you said that to start off you were in an occupational rehabilitation role and that was for, I'm assuming, adults and workplace injuries, as you said, and then you went to peds. So how did you find that transition from going just adults in a completely different role to paediatric? Yeah, it was very different, but I was pretty keen to start working with paediatrics. I had enjoyed working with the adults, but I sort of quite enjoyed working with peds on a lot of my placements at uni. Mm -hmm. So I was quite keen to get into a paediatric role. Yeah. Yeah. And what's your favourite population to work with now? Um, I'd say my favourite population is definitely paediatrics, probably up to around the age of 13. Yeah. But I'd say that I still do enjoy equipment prescription with all ages and different disabilities, um, as I find sort of the equipment prescription to be quite rewarding, and especially when a client can then complete a task independently that they previously weren't able to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so nice. It'll be such a nice, rewarding feeling. Yeah, sometimes it is. Sometimes yeah. a little bit stressful. <laughs> yeah, but... like everything. So tell us more about your role now. Is it just an occupational therapy practice or is it more a multidisciplinary team or what is it so it's quite it's definitely a multidisciplinary team um we've got some physios exercise physiologists and some psychologists and mostly doing ndis work Um, but then there's another side of the team that is doing return to work Mm -hmm. um kind of like the role i was doing Mm -hmm. previously yeah that sounds cool so there's quite it's quite a big team and there's a lot of different professionals within that team yeah yeah definitely definitely mm. what's it like working with speeches from an OT point of view yeah. I've always wanted to know this same <laughs> working with speeches is lots of fun I think we're just the best yeah <laughs> 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 
<laughs> sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes you're pretty good. No, I think it is lots of fun working with speeches and trying to be quite collaborative. Yeah. Um, at the moment, I don't work with any speeches in my role directly. There's no one else at our clinic who is a speechy, but mm-hmm. work alongside some speeches externally as well. Mm. Okay. Yeah. So when you have worked with speeches in the past or the external speeches you work with now, what is it mostly regarding? Um, I'd say definitely regarding their communication and trying to increase the communication across their speech sessions, obviously, but then trying to implement that into their OT sessions as well and try and have that real sort of collaborative approach mm. for the client. Yeah. yeah. What is it like when a speechy does give you tips and you trying to implement it into your sessions? Sometimes it's a little bit overwhelming because speechies just have these big words for things and sometimes it just makes no sense to an OT. <laughs> yeah. But I think it's quite nice getting those tips and mm-hmm. trying to implement them. And I think it works sort of vice versa as well that an OT can give some tips to a speechy and how to incorporate those tips into their speech sessions as well. So true. I think that's nice how you said sometimes it's a bit overwhelming because if we use big words and that's just a nice reminder to just use layman terms, even though we know what we're talking about, you know, you are, even though you are a health professional, we should treat you as a parent, you know, when we're trying to explain a strategy that you could use and that type of thing Yeah, and not use the big, big words. So yeah, Does that definitely. make sense? Yeah, definitely. And I think also sort of providing examples of it as well, like yeah. not just trying to explain what that strategy is, but actually providing examples of how to incorporate that strategy. That's yeah. a good point. Yeah, that's a good yeah. tip. Have some examples up your sleeve. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> has there been a time in your experience where a speechy has improved your practice in like every day with client? Oh, definitely. Um, I think a big thing is speechy sort of providing some further education to OTs whether that is in forms of educating on keyword sign or using other forms of communication and incorporating them into your OT sessions as well Mm -hmm. um I suppose another thing is providing some education on social skills and emotions which obviously OTs can target as well but sometimes it's nice to have the perspective of a speechy as well just that you're coming from a bit of a different framework mm. um and I think overall collaborating with a speechy can be quite good when you're both seeing a difficult client together and trying to come up with some strategies that you both can incorporate because sometimes you can try lots of things and it doesn't work yeah so mm-hmm. discussing what's worked in a speech session or what's worked in an OT session and then incorporating them together I think is quite beneficial yeah definitely and we've had that experience plenty of times haven't we with shared yeah. clients definitely Some... I think with both of you yeah <laughs> sometimes after a session I'll come into Jackie I did and I'll be like oh my god this happened what do I do and, <laughs> and vice versa oh, I could not understand what this kid said today like or he was using his sounds like so well and yeah it's nice to get that feedback from each other mm. oh definitely or if it's like I don't even know how to change prolo I don't know what I'm doing I need a speechy <laughs> You need the best practice. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> All right. Well, that kind of leads us into what should we look out for or when should we know when we need to refer a client to an OT? Big question, Ash. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I know it's very broad. Oh, but... It is. It's the golden question because sometimes you just never know. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, I'd say sort of some of my tips would be if a child or an adult is demonstrating some sensory seeking behaviors such as like chewing on everything 
Alternatively, if they're avoiding, so if they're avoiding particular textures, whether that's food or clothing, mm-hmm. if there's some developmental delays or developmental concerns, whether that's in play skills or gross motor skills, this is a big one. I think inability to attend or mm-hmm. hyperactivity. Mm, so yeah. that's, you know, when they're, it's impacting their ability to engage in everyday tasks, I think is a big reason to refer to an OT. Um, that's a big one. I never even thought of that. Just, I don't know, just their hyperactivity. And it's always just nice to ask the parent if they have seen an OT just to get a second opinion, mm. which is something yeah. I need to keep in mind. Yeah, definitely. And I think a child can be sometimes hyperactive, but then there also gets to a point where they're hyperactive, but they actually aren't able to do age-appropriate skills Yeah, mm-hmm. due to what their behaviours have turned into. So true. I'll always have parents that are sometimes like, he's just a really active kid, like he just loves running around. And I'm like, yeah, but he's got to go to school next year. Like, mm. you know, yeah. there's a time and place for being active. Yeah. And yeah, you're right. What um, else should we be looking out for? I'd say potentially like a picky eater or a problem feeder is another one. Mm-hmm. And that's an um, area that speech and OT actually overlap, isn't it, with picky eaters and well and that type of thing? Well yeah. Mm-hmm. I know for Cass that that's a big passion. <laughs> <laughs> you guys probably already know. <laughs> um, I'd say sort of another thing is if a child or an adult is experiencing any vision issues, potentially they'd benefit from OT. Oh, no, I didn't know that one either. Modify visual tasks to try and accommodate what their skills are. Would that work with like a client who is having literacy difficulties, and I'm doing that bunny ears again, but we've done all of our literacy and phonological awareness assessments and they're coming out fine? And I'm like, what is, what's going on? Like, could that be a result of like vision or visual processing? Yeah, definitely. I yeah. think, you know, sometimes it can be that visual perception skills are quite low and then that can be impacting their um, ability to engage in tasks at school or, yeah, like you said, um, delays in literacy as well. Mm, mm. Interesting. And so this is probably a dumb question, but would that be also, would you be considering like dyslexia as well if... Yeah, potentially. Mm. No such thing as a dumb question, Ash. Yeah, sorry. I know that. I've said that in the previous podcast. (laughs) Sorry, guys, just um, disregard that. (laughs) Do you have anything else? I think sort of another area potentially is, say, an adult who's got experiencing some tremors. So an OT could look at assistive technology in terms of maybe weighted cutlery or modified utensils. Mm. Mm. I think another one, which is where... Uh, speech you will overlap with an OT is when there's some swallowing issues. So obviously the speechy has looked at this person's swallow, there's some concerns. An OT potentially could then provide further recommendations on seating and to improve their posture, potentially if they're sitting in a wheelchair, to try and change that to enhance their swallow as um, well. Yeah. I think that's a big thing to be aware of as well is just the seating posture and that OTs can help with that because I can't remember who it was specifically, but there was this client and having extreme difficulties with eating and swallowing and that type of thing. And then their OT came in and completely changed their seating position and gave them a proper feeding chair and he was able to swallow like appropriately and get it down, manage it. Which is just so nice. I know. Yeah. And just something so simple as Mm. their posture can just make such a big difference as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, And I suppose, again, where we can overlap with speeches is if it's someone who needs an eye gaze or other forms of assistive technology and that that needs to be then mounted to their wheelchair. 
an OT can sort of comment on positioning of it mm. and positioning of the client in the wheelchair as well so that they can actually functionally use that device. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I actually off that had a client who had Huntington's disease and we were looking at like AAC stuff and I needed the OT to come in and prescribe one of those like adjustable tables, those like, mm. tilt tables or yeah. something. Yeah. Yeah, otherwise she couldn't use it. And I was like, oh my God, like we don't even think. We're just like, yep, we'll get you AAC, but how are you actually going to use it? Yeah, it needs to be accessibility. Functional. Yeah, mm. definitely. Oh, lots of magic tricks up your sleeve yeah. there, Jack. Yeah, so <laughs> I guess there's so many areas that we can refer to an OT. There's so many, but it's just nice to keep in the back of your mind that if you're not too sure, maybe even just get an OT's opinion. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Cool. Well, a common question we got asked on our Instagram and something that's really prevalent when working with kids like we spoke about last time on the spectrum or even just any other child was how to identify dysregulation in a child in a session there could be lots of things hit us jackie Um, come on tell us i'd say potentially lack of engagement so if a child is totally ignoring you in the session just not wanting to engage in the slightest Mm -hmm. also a lack of concentration to the task like if they're looking out the window would you say that's a potentially that they're you know quite dysregulated definitely also if they're constantly moving in the session or fidgeting constantly during the session as well can sometimes be a telltale sign that there's mm. something else going on. Mm-hmm. Alternatively, if they're quite floppy in the session, so they're not able to sit at the desk, they seem quite lethargic, mm. um, or also, I suppose, some avoiding behaviours yeah. as well. One thing that I find really tricky is the lack of engagement and when it's just them not wanting to participate and then if they're actually dysregulated. Yeah, I'm fine. I'm still trying to learn the difference or understand it a bit more in my clients. So I find that one it's really tricky. Do you, Cass? Yeah, I 100% agree. And like I said before, like knowing that level of are they just like having a bad day or are they dysregulated, like that line? Oh, exactly. Yeah. And I think that's quite a difficult line to find sometimes as well that, you know, as we all do, can have a bad day and not feel like doing anything and a child's exactly the same. Mm. So really trying to find that balance between engaging them in a task that's quite fun, but also making sure that they're regulated as well. Yeah, that's a really great tip, Jack. And that's actually so relevant to me every single day. Like yesterday, for example, you guys posted this on our Instagram story, but I had a client who was extremely dysregulated and she's very fidgety all the time. And I'm still, I always talk to the OT about things that could help her um, to concentrate in speech because we're working on her speech sounds. and yesterday I was like reading the OT's notes and I was like okay what can I bring into my session to make her focused and I brought in an inflated tire and kinetic sand and I used visuals and my watch timer and no joke she sat in this inflatable tire and did her sounds and we worked to phrase level like I've never seen her so engaged That's it was so exciting. unbelievable yeah so I was really happy with that and I would just like to thank OTs. <laughs> yeah, that's actually incredible. Oh, yeah. Just to think that you struggled at the CV level and then you just incorporated a few of the OT mm. strategies and she got up to phrase level. Like, Crazy. Yeah. And she was like self-correcting, like she was, yeah, so engaged. Wow. So. And I think that's yeah, goes to show that when a child is dysregulated, how much of an impact it can have on their everyday function. Mm. Absolutely. And I think that leads us into our next one is, do you have any basic tips on how to assist with regulation that our species can incorporate? So it's very hard to provide <laughs> just a clear answer for that one. For I know. Sorry. Today. I know. Not a broad question. I just want your brain, okay? Um, 
and I suppose, yeah, there's no real clear answer. And the other thing is that it can be very different for each child and what works one day won't unfortunately necessarily work the next. Mm-hmm. I think some of my top tips though would be to have movement breaks. So provide that child with some breaks to break up the session, whether that's with some yoga poses, some animal walks, push-ups or star jumps. Yeah. I will not be doing that with them. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just say, all right, get your sillies out, shake them out. Shake the beans out. <laughs> yeah, see, it works. Um, potentially some like oral motor toys as well. So you know, if they've got something to chew on, potentially also changing positions during a session. So going from sitting at the desk to then potentially sitting on bean bags or sitting on the floor, mm. maybe a wobble cushion, mm. sitting on different textures. Different textures. What do you mean? Potentially like artificial grass can sometimes be a good oh, one. Really? Sometimes a soft mat. That's so cool. All these fun things to try. <laughs> I know. That's so um, cool. Potentially providing the child with something to fidget with during the session. Mm-hmm. That can sometimes help them to engage as well. And I think my biggest tip would be visual schedules. So have a list of those activities that you want the child to complete in your session potentially even get them to order them in what order that they want to perform them in the session and then have something at the end where they can tick or cross it off their list so they can visually see that that task has been completed and then they can move on to the next one. Yeah, yeah. Visual schedules are a big tip. Love that. being your best friend, I think. Yeah. I just make ones on Microsoft Word and I just have like one, two, three, four Mm. and then a big box where we sometimes draw our activities and then a little box next bit for them to tick. Like, so simple. Oh, you draw it. That's yeah. a good idea. Yeah. Gets them to engage. Yeah. And I don't have time to make pictures, so. Yeah. I think yeah. getting them to draw it, yeah, it's quite a cool real activity as well. Mm. Sometimes I just use um, lesson picks or writing with symbols because you literally write the word and the symbol comes up. Oh, yeah. And I just go, That's enter. Good. Book reading, enter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Pretty, it's easy to do and, yeah, it can completely change your session in, in positive ways. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Okay, so that follows us on, and this might be another broad question, Jack, so apologies, <laughs> but can you provide us a few tips on how to manage challenging behaviours? I definitely can. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. I'd say start with looking at the overall situation. So just to try and identify if there's any specific triggers to the behaviour, whether that's in the environment or who, who else is in the room or a particular activity. Mm-hmm. A big one is also building really strong rapport with your client, potentially asking lots of questions, asking the parents questions, asking the teacher questions, and gathering as much information as you can, again, regarding that behaviour and if there's a trigger or what else is going on for that child. Um, I'll just quickly add the asking questions is actually a powerful tool, especially when they they have the understanding and can answer it. But one of my clients, one session he's amazing and then the other session he comes in and he is just totally dysregulated, throws my toys around, yells at me, kicks at me, whatever, you name it. And I contacted his OT just with some tips and she said sometimes if something happens in his day that makes him really angry, he doesn't know how to process that so he just needs an adult to talk through with him and ask him what's wrong and just let him know that he's being heard. And yeah, so when he comes in, we just ask what's wrong and then he's able to tell us and then we work through it that way. And then he feels a lot calmer, a lot more calmer after. Yeah, and like a little bit supported as well, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Asking questions, definitely a good one. (laughs) 
Again, like we mentioned before, reviewing their sensory needs. It's always a big question. Is it sensory or is it behavior? And really, you can't have one without the other. Mm-hmm. So I definitely recommend to be flexible with your clients. So setting up the room um, just with the items that you intend to use. So a child's not super excited to be trying to go through your therapy bag and finding all these other games or toys mm. to play with, but that actually has nothing to do with what your goals were. Mm-hmm. Giving the child a little bit of um, choice as well, I think is good at sometimes managing those behaviours. So like I said before, getting them to actually organise the visual schedule. They just sort of have a little bit more control over what's going on in the session then. And as always, I suppose, grading those activities for the things that are quite difficult, starting them off a little bit simpler and then working up. Mm -hmm. Mm. And I think a great one as well is a reward system. Having a little reward system, whether that's just in your therapy session or to do with particular activities, but a reward system can also be so fantastic. Yeah, I agree with that. And you know what I love at the moment for the rewards for the kids? Well, those ushies that you get from Woolies. <laughs> I'm obsessed with them. I've like messaged everyone I know. I'm like, you need to collect these ushies for me. Yeah. Wait, you did that with uh, the other ones that re- were released last oh, year. Oh, the Cole stickies. Yeah. Stickies. <laughs> so good. Because <laughs> you came in one day at work and you had a whole bag and I was like, what are you doing with them? You're like, you trade them. <laughs> kids love them <laughs> and I think Ash actually gave me a good example the other day of trying to give a child a sticker but they only performed 50% during the activity so <laughs> don't I'm embarrassed <laughs> decided to cut the sticker in half <laughs> that is so hard they got half a sticker savage <laughs> and I said next time next session if you do really really well then you can get a sticker and a half <laughs> and Oh my god, I so love that. Using those rewards to your advantage. Literally. Definitely. That's amazing. Oh yes, it's very good. Kids are fun, aren't they? <laughs> Hilarious. Jack, do you have any tips now for when speeches and OTs are working collaboratively with a client and your main goals for therapy are sort of those high level things, such as like emotions and social skills? There's a huge crossover with speeches and OTs in that field how do you address this in your practice or any tips I'd say be really open to having discussions with the other health professional to try and identify who's going to be mostly targeting those emotions or social skills as most of the time there's some other goals that need to be worked on as well so then sort of discussing if it's the speechy or the OT who's in a better position to target that goal and I suppose that can kind of really come back to if a child is working on the same goal, say it is to identify and manage their emotions, both a speech and OT can come at it quite differently. So then a child gets so confused when mm. a speech is telling them one thing and the OT is telling them the other. Yeah. And eventually you can achieve the same goal, but in that interim can be really quite confusing for a child. Mm-hmm. I think another recommendation is to try and, if possible, have a joint session with the speechy and OT to discuss those goals and with a parent as well, just so that everyone can work collaboratively and not against each other. Very nice tip. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. That was good. It is hard with these areas that cross over just to know who's going to work on what and, you know, if we're stepping on each other's toes. Mm. But, yeah, I think it's definitely nice just to have open conversations on what you're going to target in the sessions. We're all aware. Yeah, and we're not, yeah, yeah, confusing the child. Confusing them. All right, Jack, so the next question 
Do you have any tips that you'd give to speechies who don't work with OTs closely? I'd say don't be afraid to recommend an OT assessment. If you've got some concerns or you've noticed some things in your sessions, don't be afraid to make that recommendation to the parent. Mm -hmm. Another thing is, you know, whilst you may not be an expert in sensory and haven't, you know, done any further education in sensory, sometimes trialling things can be beneficial as well. So just, you know, changing up your session slightly, removing it from sitting at a desk to just sitting on a floor Mm. can make such an impact as well. So again, try and be a bit open-minded about how you're conducting your sessions. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good tip. The next one would be, and this is a huge thing for me in my practice, and I am often looking for help with this area or extra info. Can you give us like a little bit of a background on sensory preferences or sensory needs and what it actually means yeah sensory is definitely a massive massive topic and i think potentially you could do an entire episode just on sensory oh are you giving us a little <laughs> a hint hint <laughs> thanks for the idea stay come tuned back on. guys <laughs> oh i don't know you might have me back on okay. um, I believe the biggest thing to remember is that an individual can have sensory seeking or sensory avoiding behaviours and can be in so many different areas, whether that's to sounds, to textures, to taste, to touch, and that these can also change. Um, I suppose make sure that you're observant to the child and what you're seeing in a session in terms of their sensory needs. And also, again, try and gather information from their guardians or their teacher about what else is being seen in the different environments as well can give you a bit of an idea about sensory. And again, you can always make recommendations in terms of different sensory needs, reiterating obviously that you're not the expert, but potentially giving a parent or a teacher some different suggestions that they could try Mm -hmm. just to see if it's beneficial. And you can always use those same strategies in your sessions as well to see if they make any impact. Yeah, I think that's a fair point and an easy place to start for some species who are unsure of where to go next. Yeah, and especially if they don't have an OT that they can just go to straight away to ask for advice. Yeah, yeah. and I suppose I'm going to guess that both of you have sort of had a little bit more experience with sensory now and are a little bit more comfortable with trying different things in a session as well just to see if it makes any benefit to Mm. the child and to your therapy session. Mm. Totally. I think there's a huge misconception with kids that are being naughty as opposed to trying to find ways to, you know, support their sensory needs. Yeah. It's important to consider that in our practice. Yeah. Yeah. So I think Ash and I can both say that we work with OTs very frequently and incorporate lots of their strategies into our own practice. Mm. I'm fortunate enough to work in the same business as OTs and I'll always try to catch them in the kitchen where I can. <laughs> yeah, it's always nice and it definitely does help. So I think that if you, for you guys listening, if you have the opportunity to work with OTs, then definitely snatch up that opportunity because you'll learn and grow so much in your own practice and yeah, ultimately have better sessions with clients. Totally. I think that as well. Yeah. Well, I think that's all we have time for today. So we hope that that has given you a little bit of an insight and background into how OTs and speeches can work really closely together and some little strategies and tips to incorporate into your practice. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, thank you, Jackie, for coming on. It's been so nice, and I'm sure that everyone listening at home has even taken one or two little nifty tricks away <laughs> that can that they can apply even in placement or, yeah, in their general practice. Well, thanks, girls, for having me on the podcast. It's been so much fun having our little interview sesh, and um, hopefully I've provided some people at home listening with some little tips that may just help them in their practice. Definitely, I think you have, and you've even given me some tips. (laughs) Thank you once again. Thanks, Jack. (laughs) No worries. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. Stay tuned for next week where we give you some amazing free resources. Yeah, stay tuned for that because we all love a free resource. (laughs) Love it. (laughs) All right, thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Diary of a New Grad Speechy with your hosts, Cass and Ash. If you like what we have to say, please give us a follow on Instagram at Diary of a New Grad Speechy. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and leave a review below. Thanks so much and see you all next week. Bye. Bye.